Hello and welcome. This is Colleen O'Grady, the host of the Power Your Parenting Moms of Teens podcast. This is a gathering place for moms of preteens, teens, and young adults. My mission is to first and foremost support and encourage you, mom, so that you can live well and reclaim your life. Two, this show will help you have the best possible relationships with your teens so that you can communicate, motivate, and guide them effectively and actually enjoy them. And third, I will bring you top-notch guests who will share the newest in adolescent research and trends so you can be prepared and aware of what your teens are facing today. Always you will leave each episode armed with practical parenting tips. Welcome back everyone to the 230th episode of Power Your Parenting Moms with Teens podcast. I'm Colleen O'Grady, the host of the show. When should you be thinking about college? Junior year, sophomore year, freshman year? How do you reach your teen's college goals without draining your bank account? How do you earn scholarships regardless of family income? What colleges offer the best scholarships and financial aid? What are the best paths to medical school, law school, grad school? Our guest today answers these questions. For over 40 years, Dr. Cooney Beasley, has been helping students reach their college goals. Since 2011, Dr. Beasley and his team have helped students earn over $300 million in scholarships and grants, with students admitted to the top institutions in the country to include the Ivy League, Harvard, Cornell, etc., Service Academics, West Point, Annapolis, etc., and top-tier colleges, MIT, Stanford, Duke, etc. His SAT-ACT program, has been used in public and private schools in over 20 states. Dr. Beasley was a dean of the New College Preparatory Academy with 22 sites across the country from Springfield, Massachusetts to Hot Springs, Arkansas to Palm Springs, California. Dr. Beasley has a BS from Texas Christian University, an MBA from Oklahoma City University, Doctor of Ministry from Tyndale Seminary, and PhD from the University of Texas at Arlington. He went to college 22 years and paid for only one semester. Welcome, Dr. Cooney Beasley. Hello. Glad to be here. Thank you, Colleen. Yes. So you've been helping parents and teens reach their college goals for 40 years. What mm-hmm. got you interested in doing that? Well, it started in the Army back in 19, gosh, 1979. I was tasked to find educational opportunities. I was a lieutenant in the Army at the time. I was tasked to find educational opportunities for soldiers where they could get college credit, degrees, things. And so I did a lot of research on it and found out some of the ins and outs of being able to maneuver the the maze of getting into college and getting it paid and things. That although I was no longer doing it in the Army, I kept it up as a point of interest, uh, developed a database. And then, of course, when my kids came along, I married a lady with two kids. And uh, when they came along and their time for them to go to college, I said, well, you know, I got to figure this one out because I don't have all this money to pay for college. So I did a lot of research. Both of my stepdaughters went to college on full scholarships. Wow. uh, In fact, the first daughter, we got so much money that they refunded us $1,500 for semester. Wow. That's happened a lot to us. I had to tell you, that has happened a lot. Okay. I'm sure a lot of parents want to know the secrets that you have. You got to understand, I'm saying that it's not a (laughs) vending machine. You just don't, you know, put your coins in, all of a sudden all this money comes out. You know, not everything that works for everybody, okay? Right. So I was able to play a very strategic game in order to get this. 
Now, right. people do pay me to do that. That's what I do for a living. But it's just not, you know, well, you just don't put your coins in a slot machine to do this. Right. So you've been doing this 40 years. Mm-hmm. What are some of the biggest changes you've seen? Uh, the cost of college. Twice, mm, yeah. sometimes three times the rate of inflation. It shouldn't be this way. A lot of people ask me, why is it this way? Well, it's, it's this way because access to loans. I mean, an 18-year-old couldn't go down and sign a note for a car independently, but the colleges will allow them to take out hundreds of thousands of dollars in loans on his or her signature. Ooh, yeah, that's a problem. Yeah, and it's a big problem. We're sitting at $1.9 trillion. Student debt exceeds all credit card debt and exceeds all automobile debt. It exceeds wow. the entire national debt of Canada. Wow. Twice the national debt of Greece. Wow. Mm-hmm. So any 18-year-old could go in and just say, I need a loan without parents' permission? Well, the parents will generally have to co-sign, but there's very few rejections for people who want to pick up an extra forty dollars or $50,000 a year in loans because you can't get out of them. You can't declare bankruptcy. You can't even die. If, if you die, the first dibs on your estate. Whoa, I didn't know yep. that. Yep, you sign your life away. I mean, I was working with a doctor a few years ago, and he. a lot of people come to me, you know, essentially in their desperation, and they said, okay, he was, uh, had all this debt for being in medical school. And he comes to me and says, what can I do now? I says, I just told him, you got to make sure your payments are on time. And he was going to be making payments until he was 62. Whoa, that's huh? terrible. Most of the students who are taking debt to go to expensive schools this year will not be able to pay their debt off in their lifetime. I had no idea. Wow. No, it's really that bad, but people don't want to address this. It's really that bad. I mean, people think that somehow going to an expensive, high-profile school will give them an economic advantage. That's false. There's not one single article written that proves that. There's plenty of articles. There's a Kruger, there's the Kruger research that was done starting in 1972. They tracked for 40 years people who had been accepted to Ivy Leagues and those who went to the Ivy Leagues and those who didn't go to the Ivy Leagues. And after 40 years, there was no significant statistical difference between the amount of money they made and the amount of success they had. Going to a particular school, in some cases, may give you a slight edge the first seven years. But beyond that, it's good for cocktail parties and alumni reunions. Wow. That's the numbers. I mean, my wife went to Harvard. Okay, When I met her, she was a high school dropout. And she finished her high school diploma through one of my schools. And she went to community college, was Phi Theta Kappa in community college, and transferred to Harvard on full scholarship and graduated with honors in 2014. My total cost for Harvard was $22,000. Wow. Most of that was the apartment in Cambridge. Again, this is not for everybody. Again, you just don't pull the lever and it automatically comes up. It took a lot of work and to do that. I managed to get her and her two daughters through college for less than 30000 So, But right. there's ways of doing this, and it's not instant karma, because what works for some people at some colleges, some years, doesn't work for everybody every year at every college. The playing field changes every year. I'm tied into about 12 research databases that I have to keep up with when I advise people, because the landscape changes, uh, you know, depending on, you know, for example, University of Kentucky several years ago, some colleges want to maintain a particular diversity profile. And that year, their profile was lacking Hispanic students. So they threw money at Hispanic students. The following year, there was not a penny for Hispanic students because they got their numbers up. So there's, I mean, there's, things, there's nuances like that that most people don't understand. Most of your high school counselors, a few of them may have an idea, but most of them don't understand. Most of them, their job is to get the kids out the door in May. And most of the people who call themselves 
college planners or college counselors, they don't know either. The vast majority of the people who call themselves college blank or something like that are either selling insurance or they really don't know what they're doing. I can tell you horror story after horror story. Yeah, uh, I bet. Having to do rescues. So I had a podcast guest say once that he actually recommended kids to go to community colleges or junior colleges for the first two years because it would be economically a smart thing. What do you think about that? Well, it depends on the situation. I have several students that we called it a two plus two. My wife did that. And I had one of my best friends who was in the financial planning business. Uh, His daughter really couldn't nail down the SAT very well. And so we did a two plus two for her. She transferred to Harvard her junior year, graduated from Harvard about a year ago with honors. There are no debt. I'm not saying that there are easy things to do, but if you know critical pathways, if you understand what you're doing, the difference between having the ambulance driver perform surgery or have an experienced surgeon performing surgery. Most people out there, I hate to say this, are ambulance drivers in this. They know enough to stop the bleeding. That's about it. All right. So what are some of your secrets? What are the nuances? Number one, start early. When I put my little updates out, I go time. Okay. The best time to start what you're doing was yesterday. The Mm. next best time is now. You have Mm. the time to start, the amount of time that you have to put into the work, and the time that you have to do it. Most people start too late. Most of the kids that I try to work with, I try to catch freshman year. And then we start building the portfolio and the resume freshman year. We start them doing SAT testing and getting test maturity because I don't care what people say right now. Everybody, I've got people who think, you know, the test optional and blah, blah, blah. Okay, let's do test optional. Okay, the common data set, that's the data that the colleges feed into. This is, I mean, we're talking fact and numbers, and I'm talking about feelings here. If you have a, we call it durable test score, it's the test score that places you above the 50 percentile of the people applying to that particular college. If you got a durable test score, you are 50%, half again, as likely to be admitted and without one, all of the things considered. You're yeah. there? You just uh-huh. it was on the screen. Okay. Okay. You're half again as likely to be admitted. Now, most scholarships require a test score, even though the admissions will say test optional scholarships will require a test score. In fact, many colleges will have a two-tiered system on their scholarships. They'll have, for example, a 3.5 and a 32 ACT for a full scholarship or a perfect 4.0 and no test for a full scholarship. Now, when I'm talking these these GPAs, colleges generally use unweighted GPAs, which is part of your overall strategy because a lot of times it may be better to get an A in the regular course than to get a B in the AP course because the B on the AP course on transcript is a B. Oh, I didn't know that. It's a B. Now, some colleges will ask for your weighted and unweighted. The problem with weighted test scores or weighted grades is that there's no standard weighting process. Some high schools will use a five-point rating scale. Some will use a six-point rating scale. And there's no consistency. So that's why colleges will ask for the unweighted and the weighted. And sometimes they use the test scores as an arbiter. Mm. So it's again, it's getting back to understanding the nuances of this because, you know, we're essentially using the analogy. We're performing major surgery here and you don't want the ambulance driver doing it. You know, most people in this business don't know because, you know, one of the things I ask is, okay, you know, if you understand this, then tell me what percentage of the parents' assets are counted in the FAFSA. If they can't answer that, then they really don't know what they're doing. That's like saying you don't know the bones in the forearm and you're a surgeon. Okay, Mm -hmm. so, you know, I have a test that I 
provide to my clients that you got somebody out there you think smarter than me. I hate to put it in these terms. Okay. Have them take this little test. And if they don't know this stuff, you need to run because, you know, they're not the surgeon. They're the ambulance driver. And you need the ambulance driver. You need somebody that's going to transport the body, but you don't want the ambulance driver performing surgery. Right. And that's the case you have because most of your counselors are based on making sure the kids meet the requirements for a diploma and they get them out. Very few of them actually get involved in true college counseling other than giving them some offhand information. And most of it is under-informed. Yeah. All right. So one of your pieces of advice is start early mm-hmm. and take the test, be prepared for the test. What's take another? the SAT. You take the SAT until the PSAT, the junior year. Then after that, you have them take an ACT and figure out which one they're better at. They right. Don't take the ACT before then unless there's some huge overriding reason. And I haven't found one yet. So we focus on PSAT for freshmen, sophomores, and juniors. And that that's the junior year is the PSAT for record for national merit and things that other people don't understand. There is also a national recognition for Hispanics, African-Americans, indigenous, and rural. And if you classify one of those areas, there are colleges that will give you a full scholarship because you qualify in one of these recognition areas. And most of your high school counselors have no idea. The school I was at here had no idea. All right. So give me another piece of advice. This is great stuff. Okay. Well, you start early. You want to build your portfolio. Okay. Now, let me give you an example. Okay. You got you on your resume and you say, I worked 120 hours at the food bank in the soup kitchen. Okay. Mm-hmm. Is that a good kid? Yeah. Okay. I received the Presidential Volunteer Service Medal for my work at the soup kitchen and the <laughs> food bank. That sounds better. Okay. I received the Congressional Gold Award for my self-development and community service. Yeah, that even sounds better. Okay. So you start stacking these things. I mean, I facetiously say, you know, I want our kids to look like Latin American dictators when they cross the stage to, to graduate. <laughs> we want them dangling medals. I mean, I and then give you give you an example. The Congressional Award is a very highly rated award. Most people don't even know it exists. And if you reach the gold award, it's actually awarded to you by your congressman in Washington, D.C. I had a homeschooler from upstate New York, and he wanted to go to Cornell. And so we had everything lined up. He had the numbers. Everything was fine. He just needed an extra bump. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so he meets his congressman. His congressman is a Cornell alum, and his congressman writes a letter of recommendation to Cornell. And that was the bump he needed. Wow, that's great. And Because I, I work with a lot of homeschoolers, and people don't think you can get homeschoolers into Ivy League. Yep. Can you get homeschoolers into West Point Naval Academy? Yep. Okay. Hmm. You just got to know how to play the game. See, when you look at the maze, consider the maze as being something like this, these hedges all around. Yes. You've seen these British mazes. Okay. Yes. You get up on top and you look at the maze and we just put the boards down on top of the hedges and walk across. You got to know that and instead of sitting there and trying to navigate, you just put the boards on and go across because you got to know where to land. Yeah. And I mean, I've been doing this so long. To me, it's almost a game on what's the most creative way I can handle this, this unique situation. And you get a lot of unique situations and it becomes a challenge to figure it out. And there's a mix of strategies and tactics that we'll throw in and see what happens. In my program, particularly in the last 10 years, I think we've done over 300 million in grants and scholarships, other types of aid. The only people who failed my program were people who didn't do the work. Mm-hmm. And that's it, just simply doing the work, the, yeah. the right work, the right way at the right time. So what do you think about people who, it seems like the trend today is, I don't know, like you applied at least 10 colleges, you have your reach colleges, you have 
you know, the ones you know you can get into. What do you think about that? Well, that's a pretty sound strategy. We go with 12s, okay? okay? You got four reach, four levels, and four gimmies, okay? Now, I did have a student five years ago. He applied to 17 colleges. 16 offered him full scholarships. Oh, he my goodness. $1.72 million total in scholarship offers. Wow. We targeted the schools. You know, see, just because you have good grades and good test scores, not every college is going to give you a scholarship. Some colleges don't give any scholarships. So you want to target the schools that give money away. And so we target those schools. In this case, this young man went to Webb Institute. You probably never heard of that, have you? Mm-mm. Webb Institute is on Long Island. It is arguably the most exclusive college in the country. They only take 28 students a year. You major in naval architecture and marine engineering. That's it. And if you get in, it's free. Whoa. Again, I have a list of what we call the secret hidden colleges. There are colleges out there that are very unique. People don't know about them. And in cases like Webb, they're very inexpensive to go to. Last five years, I've had two students at Webb. One of them was a homeschooler. Wow. You know your stuff. Well, I've been doing it 40 years. And by that time, it's all reflex. (laughs) So what are some of the colleges that have some of the best scholarships and financial aid? Okay. Top of my list, University of Alabama. Yes, that Alabama. Okay. Now, 32 ACT and a 3.5 is an automatic $28,000 a year. Automatic. There's a lot of colleges have automatic. I mean, I have a complete list of all of the automatic scholarships that are out there. Now, some of them require national merit recognition or national recognition or a few other things. But in Alabama, they've got a scale all the way up to 3.5 and a 32 ACT. A lot of other colleges have a very similar. University of Kentucky has automatic scholarships. Now, when you start talking financial aid, you've got financial aid, you've got grants, waivers, and you have scholarships. Your best financial aid, or particularly somebody who's a very good student, but let's say has a low family income, that, of course, is going to be Harvard, Princeton, Stanford, Rice. They all bought into the coalition model where I think it's 87000 at Harvard right now. I don't have the detail in front of me because everything's going to turn over tomorrow, by the way. August 1st is the turnover date for all the websites for colleges. So I think it's 80000 87000 for Harvard. If your family, if your adjusted gross income is below 80000 Harvard will pay for everything. Tuition fees, room and board. I think it's 160000 they'll waive tuition. And then after wow. that, it's scaled all the way up to about 300000 Again, these are general figures. Don't hold me to it. This is the last day of July. Everything's turning over the 1st of August. So I've had students go to Harvard and Princeton and essentially get full rides because they paid for everything. And same thing with Stanford. Stanford offers the same similar package. Rice University offers a similar package. Most of the Ivy Leagues offer somewhat of a similar package. So mm-hmm. if you're really good and you got a low family income, that's not going to hinder you from getting into the top institutions. There's not an economic barrier that people think there is. Hmm. I mean, I got, I, I got my wife into Harvard. She got a full scholarship, got the Phi Theta Capital Transfer Scholarship. I paid $596 her first semester at Harvard. And the thing about that story that surprises me is that she transferred her junior year. Because mm-hmm. I didn't yes. think you could transfer into Ivy League schools. Well, who told you that? <laughs> I don't know. Okay. You didn't. There's this whole constellation of mythology that's out there. I tell parents, you got to be very careful on where you're getting your advice. You know, chicken licking said, cocky locky said, loosey goosey said, you know, <laughs> a lot of people, you know, they act on what their best friend's next door neighbor's brother-in-law said and what he overheard in the men's room or something. You have a lot of people mm-hmm. say, well, my friends say, or somebody told me, or I always thought these are all precursors. These are the prepositional phrases to the myth they're going to share with you. Mm-hmm. And another myth that says, well, 
this lady, she got her son into Harvard. I talked to her. And she told me everything I need to do. Yeah, in 25 seconds, she gave you the full download on how to get into Harvard. <laughs> yep. I mean, if it was like that and you could bottle it, everybody would have it. No. But that's what people think. They go off of one or two things that you have to have, and it's not that simple. They would like to keep it that simple, but in some cases, it is simple if you have what we call the metrics. If you've got the GPA, the class rank, the test scores, it becomes very simple. That's your so, currency. No, this is great. So what other piece of advice do you have? Well, we got building the resume. We've got getting your test scores up. Okay, set realistic expectations, okay? Sometimes I get students who contact me, and they have a 2.2, and they want to go to Columbia. I said, well, you're going to go as a tourist. Uh, <laughs> and the thing about it is that they were referred to me by their high school counselor. And mm -hmm. essentially, the high school counselor didn't want to be the one to tell them that you're not going to Columbia. Mm -hmm. You have to start early. You have to get good test scores, build a portfolio. And overall, be a good student. Because, I mean, for example, grades. There's no substitute for good grades. Yeah. And then you want to get recognition. When I say recognition, it's not so much uh, trying to get a bunch of fanfare, but seek leadership positions. Work on your volunteer hours and get recognized for your volunteer hours. And if you can't get into a leadership position, start your own club. Okay. Now, I'm going to backtrack here for a second. Only about 15% of the colleges in the country are going to look past your metrics, your grades, your test scores, your class rank. And 85% oh. of the colleges in the country, they will admit you and scholarship you on numbers alone. Mm. Okay. Mm. Now, there's the 15% that look further. And in the process of looking further, you're going to look at their grades, their recognition. What are your extracurriculars? What other activities are you involved in? And they're going to look at these things. And this is where you run into problems with people who, for example, the valedictorian took every possible AP, advanced, IB course there was. And nobody ever knew who he was because he was so involved with that. He never played tennis or was on anything else. And so there's some good valedictory speeches on YouTube where the kids said, you probably don't know me because all I did was study. I couldn't play baseball. I couldn't play football. Couldn't do any of this stuff because I was focused on my grades. And what happens is, is that that skews that high school experience. And I don't think that's right, but it skews the high school experience. So this kid on his metrics, they're going to get into some good colleges, but he didn't do anything in high school except, you know, pump his grades, pump yeah. his class rank. You know, there's got to be a balance there. So what do you think makes a good portfolio? Well, again, grades, mm -hmm. recognition, your volunteer hours, your extracurriculars, your activities. Now, there's a difference between extracurriculars and activities, okay? Your activities may be being involved with something that is non-school related. Extracurriculars have a school relationship with them. Okay. Extracurriculars, you're in football. Okay. Activities is you're in Girl Scouts or Boy Scouts. And there is one recognition that a lot of people don't know. And that's called Boy State and Girl State. Now, the service academies and the Ivy Leagues looked at this as probably one of the top recognitions you can get in the country because in Boy State and Girl State, you are selected by your community. And it's, it's sponsored by the American Legion. And they assemble the best and the brightest, and they have one week where they work together, understanding the political system, and they gather one place in the state. And from there, people are selected to go to what's called Boys Nation or Girls Nation. I had one student from Alaska go to Boys Nation this year. Okay, that's a national recognition. Okay, that's out of one one thousandth of one percent of students going. And now I'm working with him on going to the Naval Academy. He's already got 
about two laps on most of the people going to the service academy because he's at he's at Boys Nation. I mean, he's a very selective student. So you know, we start working on, and again, most people don't know about this. You know, we understand, so we position them to get into a boy state and girl state. And while they're there, they get to meet very high-profile people. So that's one of the big things that we do on this recognition thing. Okay, when you're doing your extracurriculars. Again, the objective is getting into some type of creative or leadership position, have something to show for this, and then on your other outside activities. Now, we don't want to activity people to death, okay? But you want to mm-hmm. get involved in something that puts you in the community. Now, for example, let's say somebody wants to pursue being a doctor. Yeah. Your outside activities, you know, you need to get involved with volunteering at a senior center, or if you get old enough, to be a candy striper. They still have them, by the way. And get involved in seeking your CNA, Certified Nursing Assistant, or get it, start accumulating some of these credentials. Now, you know, by the time they get to college, if they've got their EMT and they work part-time on the weekend with the fire department and they resuscitate seven people, okay? Now, when you go into your interview for med school and it's the interview that gets you in, now, the numbers and the, and the application and the essays, gets you the interview. The interview gets you in. And so you're sitting there and you're sitting there and then they're talking to you and you say, you know, what's significant that you do? So well, there are seven people walking around today because I resuscitated them. Mm -hmm. I resuscitated seven people. Okay. Compare that to the other guy who says, well, I was in glee club. Okay. (laughs) Now who's going to get the slot? You have to look at this. You got to look one standard deviation out. Yeah. Even when I work with my students who say, you know, I only want to apply to these three schools. I said, no, Really, the thing you need to do is we're going to shoot you to become a million-dollar baby. We want you to be awarded a million dollars in scholarship offers. You put that on your resume when you get that first job. One standard deviation out. I received over a million dollars in scholarship offers. Compare that to the kid who's carrying half a million dollars in debt. Now, when you go to your first job, they're going to run a background check on you. Make sure you're not a terrorist. They're going to run a drug test on you. They're going to run a credit check on you. Now, One has no debt. The other has half a million dollars in debt. Now, you know the kid that's got half a million dollars in debt is going to spend most of his adult life chasing jobs to pay off his debt. Mm-hmm. Who's going to get the job? You've got to think one standard deviation out. Mm-hmm. And most people don't do that. So if you mm-hmm. say, I was a million-dollar baby, you, know, you say, I received over a million dollars in scholarship offers. Okay, mm-hmm. Put that on your resume. That sets you apart. You know, mm-hmm. Employers are looking for that point of distinction. So we've got to think one standard deviation out. And all that's, things. That's so good. What are some of the best paths to, you were talking about medical school or law school or grad school. What things would you add about that? Okay. In medical school, you don't have to be pre-med. All you have to do is take the requisite courses, take the MCAT, get your essays and your applications in, get your experiences. And I mean, I've, I've put a computer science majors into med school. In fact, I have a lot of people whose second career, I took a stockbroker, put them into med school, an engineer, med school and had a lawyer who wanted to go to vet school. By the way, vet school is harder to get into than med school is. But what you're looking for is creating this pathway where, you know, it doesn't matter what you major in, you've got to make sure you've got the requisite courses and the requisite grades and the requisite MCAT score. And so now the law school is a little bit different. Again, it doesn't matter what you majored in. I mean, I've done engineer to law school. I've done chemist to law school. So it doesn't matter. In fact, I got accepted to law school. And all you have to do for law school is graduate, have a decent GPA, and have a high LSAT score. 
one of my daughters had the top LSAT score at the University of Texas at Arlington. We had her on track for pretty much a full ride to UT Law. So there are ways of doing this. Now, not every way will work for everybody, but there are ways of doing this. And you've got to begin to come back to your strategy. Again, start your strategy now. Mm -hmm. I tell people, if you're not in a formal, recognizable college prep process by the first day of your freshman year, you are losing $100 a day. Whoa. Yeah, whoa. You're losing $100. People say, well, we're thinking about it. When I hear somebody says, well, we're thinking about it, I'm saying, well, your kid is going to work for the government for 20 to 30 years paying back that loan because mm. that's what you're going to do. Oh, well, something will come up. It will. The loan will come up. I mean, there's all kinds of ways of avoiding major debt. I don't see anything wrong with, let's say, taking a Stafford loan because that's a car payment. And you can pay that off in four or five years. But when you start getting into the plus loans and stuff like that, where you're borrowing $50,000 a year, there's not a school in this country that's worth it. That school does not exist, or they want the parents to get into their retirement or refinance their home. There's one company I know of, but several of them do this. One company I know, their entire strategy is that the parents refinance their house, take their equity in cash, put the cash into an annuity or a whole life policy, and then borrow money against that to pay for college. Now, Mm. in the mind of the deceived parent, oh, I'm only increasing my monthly payment for my house for $300 a month, and I'm able to put my kid through this expensive school. Well, it's going to be $300 a month for another 30 years. And what are you going to do for the second kid? You run out of houses. But they make a lot of money doing this because, first off, they make a lot of money in the refinance. They make a lot of money selling them the whole life or annuity policy. And then they charge them you know, $3,500 for the privilege of going into debt up to their eyeballs. This is just a different type of debt. It's just paid back differently. It's the difference between pulling the blood out of the arm or pulling the blood off out of a leg vein, okay? You're just using a different location. And it's, it's sad. People get caught in this and they think, oh, it's wonderful, it's great. But I'm going to say a good 60% of the people out there who call themselves college blank would just set you up for loans, do something you can do for yourself, have no way of understanding the nuances of being able to actually create something for these for their clients. So why do colleges cost so much? Because they can. I'm going to tell you a horror story. I used to donate to my alma mater, mm-hmm. and I stopped. I'm not going to go into my alma mater. Okay, they stopped. <laughs> uh-huh. right? So I stopped. They sent somebody over to talk to me, and I sat down, and I said, you guys have raised the cost of attendance $12,000. Can you tell me why? The guy just kind of reluctantly says, well, because we can. He said that we had 10,000 applicants for 2,500 slots, and every one of them would be willing to take out a $50,000 loan. Wow. I had a friend who's a plastic surgeon, very prominent plastic surgeon, and I was advising him, and you know, he was saying whether he should go to my alma mater or another state school, and I said, put him in the state school. And he's a, he's a plastic surgeon, and he ends up putting him in the expensive school, and I said, okay, now how many facelifts with that? And he goes, well, four. <laughs> you know, and the funny thing is after the first semester the kid transferred to the state school chasing wow. his girlfriend okay and, so it's, <laughs> and again college education particular bachelor's degree unless you're in some really 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 specific field it's pretty much a commodity a business degree is a business degree mm-hmm. right? you know yeah. I, I use this illustration a lot because i used to live up in the dallas area and i said it's called the tale of three colleges you start up in collin county in McKinney, you have Collin County Community College. If you take U.S. history, it's going to run you about $200. Mm-hmm. You go down Central Expressway to the University of Texas at Dallas. Oh, mm-hmm. by the way, 
Dallas has no colleges. University of Texas at Dallas is not in Dallas. University of Dallas is not in Dallas. Dallas Cowboys are not in Dallas. <laughs> okay, anyway, so you go to University of Texas at, at Dallas, it's going to run you about $1,700. You go to Southern Methodist University further down Central Express, it's going to run you about $6,000. Now, wow. the last time I looked, Columbus still left in 1492. George Washington was still the first president. And I'm trying to figure out, what are you doing? You know, you're paying for the privilege of paying for the privilege. I mean, I mean, I found out that a parent's ego is very expensive. And I mean, even the parking's better at, at Collin College. And you can go to Collin College for two years. And if you really want to go to SMU, transfer to SMU and start paying retail from there. I mean, that way you can save a lot of this. But again, sometimes you're having to deal with uh, perception and ego. And a lot of times parents will pay an extra half a million dollars to satisfy their ego. They say, my kid goes to this school and my kid is in hock half a million dollars. Oh my gosh, that's so true. That's such a great, yeah. great example. Yeah. And again, I mean, there are pathways. I've had students go to Southern Methodist on full scholarship, but they're few and far between. And right. a bachelor's degree is pretty much a bachelor's degree. Now, I tend to focus on going to your regional colleges in Texas versus your big box colleges. I'm not a proponent of big box. And I'll give you an illustration. If you're going pre-med in Texas, my first college comes up on my list is Midwestern State in Wichita Falls. Now, you ever been to Wichita Falls? It's probably not the vacation <laughs> in the world. Yeah, so it's a good <laughs> place to drive through. The saving grace is all the stoplights are automated so you don't have to slow down. By the way, I grew up in Wichita Falls, so I can say this. <laughs> anyway, Midwestern State is a secret hidden college. They have in the 90, 90 percentile ascension to med school. Okay, huh. You go to, let's say, Texas A&M. Now, the weed-out course for med school is first semester sophomore chemistry, organic chemistry. Mm -hmm. Now, Texas A&M, you're going to be in a class with 300 people. 200 of them are going to flunk. Mm. 50 for the second time. Those are just raw statistics. You go to Midwestern State and the counselor sits down with you and says, here's how we're going to get you through OCHEM. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of people put a lot of uh, credibility on pedigrees. You know, where you went to college, how important it is. It's not that important. I mean, do you have a family doctor? Yeah. Okay. Do you know where <laughs> your family doctor went to college? No. Did you pick your family doctor based on where they went to college? I did not. A significant portion of the people who are getting their medical license in the United States are coming from overseas. That's um, true. Yeah. Great Britain, the Commonwealth countries, India, Pakistan, South Vietnam, actually yeah. Vietnam now, the West Indies. A few years ago, we would see in the MCAT magazine, St. George's in Grenada bragging about they had the highest first-time pass rate on the medical boards and in Grenada because they all have to meet the same criteria. I mean, I'm going to say, if you're going to go into research yet, you may want to go to one of the big schools, okay? Mm -hmm. But right now, in the medical field, the doctor of osteopathic medicine is becoming emergent, okay? Uh, a few years ago, it would have been less than 10% becoming DOs. Now we're at 25%. In fact, right now, 60% of the new medical schools are DO schools. They put one in Huntsville at Sam Houston. University of Louisiana Monroe's got a cohort via DO school. I mean, DO can do everything an MD can do wow. and everything a PT can do and everything a chiropractor can do. And wow. I tend to show people, and lots of people don't even know that DOs exist. Right. I mean, the, Donald Trump's White House physician was a DO. He's the one that got him through COVID in three days. Yeah. Oh, this is so good. So good because you're helping my listeners think outside of the box. There is no box. The box is an illusion. Yes. And I think there's so much cultural pressure, like you said, to go for the status schools and do it the status way. And then everybody as a therapist, what I see is 
so much panic for the kids, for the parents, so much stress if they don't do it like kind of the traditional way. If they don't get their kids in SMU or Vanderbilt or Rice or an Ivy League school and, and the kids are not enjoying their school and how you're talking about it is so smart. Know what? You deserve your doctorate degree, whatever you have. It's so smart. And, oh, this is such rich stuff. And if people really paid attention to this, this would lower so much anxiety for kids and parents in high school. Mm -hmm. The first thing I have to do is I got to spend most of the first several meetings deprogramming people. Yeah. I've got to tell them the world is not flat. We have satellite pictures proving that. (laughs) Uh, and you talked about you know they deserve a doctorate i don't do anything in my field i mean my bachelor's degree is in criminal justice i've never busted (laughs) anybody or written a parking ticket i got my mba we got kind of a record on that i did my mba in 50 weeks going to school at night placido domingo and dinah shore spoke at my commencement my first doctorate is in greek and hebrew no one's asked me to be their <laughs> rabbi. And my second doctorate is in urban and public administration. Nobody's asked me to be their mayor. So academically, I'm a failure. 22 years of college down the drain. But I did manage to go 22 years to only pay one semester. Mm, yeah, there That's you go. That's my claim to fame. All right. Well, I could talk to you forever, but we have to wind this up. So okay. any last advice to the moms listening? Okay. Start now. And if they want to contact me. I'll be gladly for people from your show. They indicate that they came from your show. We'll give them a free initial consult, get them started. Get on my website, Beasley College Prep, B-E-A-S-L-E-Y, BeasleyCollegePrep.com. And we can set them up on a, you know, get them for an initial interview, kind of get them pointed in the right direction. Okay. That's so awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time. I've loved talking with you. Okay. It's been wonderful, Colleen. Thank you. This concludes this week's episode of Power Your Parenting Moms with Teens podcast. If this podcast has been helpful, I would absolutely love it if you could go to Apple Podcasts and leave a five-star review. This makes it easier for other moms like you to find the support and encouragement they need. Also, my award-winning best-selling books, Gow Down the Drama, Reducing Conflict, Reconnecting with Your Teenage Daughter, and my newest release book, Dial Up the Dream, Making Your Daughter's Journey to Adulthood the Best for Both of You. You can find both of these books wherever books are sold. And you can find other great resources and contact me at ColleenOGrady.com. And that has two L's and two E's. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. Thank <laughs> you.